Good morning. Welcome to the message part of today's service as we move from a time of praise and worship. If you were able to catch last week's service, I mentioned that we'd be doing kind of a two-part look at trust. Last week we looked at, do we trust God? And this week we're going to be looking at, do we trust one another? What does that look like with our own relationships? Uh, but before we begin, please join me in prayer. Lord, Thank you for being a God that we can trust. Thank you for never changing. Thank you for giving us your promises and giving us your word so that we can see the history of your faithfulness, Lord. Please teach us to be people who deeply trust you unconditionally. And God, this week as we prepare to look at trust within our own relationships, open up our hearts to what you're teaching us, God. I don't want this to be a time of what I have to say, but what you have to say. So in this time, instruct us, show us how you want us to be the church as you've created it. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So last week we looked at Daniel 3. We looked at the story of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and how they demonstrated a but-if-not trust, right? A trust in the Lord that God is God. We will obey him regardless of the outcome for us, regardless of our circumstances, what's going on in our own lives. We will obey God because we trust that he is the Lord and he is good. And this week, I want us to move from looking at a question of do we trust God to do we trust one another? Because we're commanded to trust one another, right? And as I've mentioned, you know, over the past several weeks, as we consider this idea of a revolutionary life, I think a group of people who trust one another and live in that trust, I think that will be incredibly different to the world around us, but in a very powerful and good way. And the verse that's kind of driving this, it's just one verse. Um, do you ever have those verses, right, as you're reading through the Bible or you're studying and it's like it's written in neon? Uh, when was this? This would have been February of last year, January of, of last year. I was reading through Galatians um, and I'd read through it before and I've read through it again since. But this one time when I was reading through Galatians, there was a verse in chapter 6 that just jumped off the page and, and smacked me across the face, right? It demanded that I sit up and pay attention. And that's Galatians 6.2. Listen to this, this short verse, but listen to the idea in it. Galatians 6.2. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. See, when I read something like that, something that clearly states, fulfill the law of Christ by doing this, that's going to make me pay attention, right? I'm going to take time to be like, whoa, wait, I need to understand this. And so the first question, as I consider that verse, Galatians 6, 2, the first question that naturally pops up is, well, what is the law of Christ? What is the law of Christ that I'm commanded to fulfill and that I'm able to fulfill by bearing one another's burdens? And so as we consider this question, what is the law of Christ, we can turn back just one chapter in Galatians. You have Galatians 5.14 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And that's Paul writing. But before Paul wrote this, Jesus taught this. And for this, we're going to go to Matthew. This is going to be Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 to 40. He's talking to the Pharisees and the Sadducees, uh, the authorities of that day. And we pick up in verse 34 of chapter 22. 
But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. And one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus said to them, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. These two commandments summarize everything. You want to understand and obey the law? Love God with the entirety of your being. Love your neighbor as yourself. And that's so incredible. That's so powerful. Because here's the thing. As Christians, right, we know the command to love God, right? We all know that, the love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength, right? We've talked about that. We understand that. That's something that's on our mind. We understand, we know, we, we readily and quickly talk about the command, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? We know the actions, the visible actions that we're supposed to do. But I wonder if as followers of Christ, we really truly understand the absolute significance placed on the burden of loving one another, of loving people because we love God. See, it's not love born out of our own ability to love them. It's I love God with such an abundance, with such a totality of my being, that in the outpouring of that, the overflow of that, I love the people of this world because God loves the people of this world. Listen to these verses. For this, we're in 1 John chapter 4. And I want you to read, I want you to read this week, 1 John 4, 7 to 21. We won't read all of those verses. We're going to read uh, verses 7 to 8, 11, and then 20 to 21. But I want you to read that whole section, and, and we'll send that out as a reminder. But listen to 1 John 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. Verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Verses 20 and 21, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen cannot love God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. There's no way around it. We cannot claim to be disciples of Christ. We cannot claim to know and love God if we are unwilling to love people. If we are selective with who we love and how we love, that makes it very clear we don't have that option. I love how C.S. Lewis phrases it in his book, The Four Loves. If you've never read it, pick it up. Take the time to go through it. It's fantastic. But in The Four Loves, specifically a section on agape, C.S. Lewis talks about the love we're to have for one another in this framework. I think God wants us to love him more, not to love creatures, even animals, less. We love everything in one way too much, i.e. at the expense of our love for him. So he's acknowledging that it is possible that we love things too much in comparison to how we love God. But then he goes on to say, he says, We love everything in one way too much, i.e. at the expense of our love for him. But in another way, we love everything too little. 
No person, animal, flower, or even pebble has ever been loved too much, i.e. more than every one of God's works deserve. See, that's how we have to understand this world around us. That's how we have to understand people around us. Not that we love them too much. We may love them too much in comparison to our love for God, but it, it's impossible to love another person as much as they deserve as one of God's works. I think we see that in Scripture. I think C.S. Lewis states it nicely there. And so the first question, as I read through this, Galatians 6, 2, right? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? Love one another. Love God, and out of that, love one another. So the first question that this, this verse raises for me is, am I committed to loving people? Am I committed to loving my neighbors, the people I interact with on a daily basis? Am I committed? And when I say committed, I mean really committed. Am I committed to loving my church family entirely? Because that is what is required to bear one another's burdens, this burden to love as God loves because God loves. So we start there, right? And then next, okay, so we've dealt with the second half of that verse. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. We've identified what is the law of Christ. I want us to consider, am I as an individual committed to loving people? And then as we move back to the first half of that verse, bear one another's burdens. I've told you in the past, right, one of the ways I study and process is through questions. And one of my immediate thoughts is when I come across an idea that really makes me sit up and pay attention, something that sinks its teeth into me, right, my thought is, okay, what else do we see in Scripture? I want to make sure before I start to try and understand this on my own, I want to make sure I know what the Bible says about this idea. And so as I look at this idea of bear one another's burdens, and I start to process that, and I think, all right, this means then that there has to be a relationship, right? Is this something we see? What does the Bible say about this? Is this a recurring lesson that we're to take away? And I think so. Listen to these verses. This is Genesis 2.18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for man to be alone. I will make him a helper fit for him. Ecclesiastes 4, 9 through 10. Two are better than one because they have a good reward for their toil. For if one falls, one will be there to lift up his fellow. Right? So when we say, we see, it's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper for him, says God. In Ecclesiastes, two are better than one. For if one falls, the other is there to help him up. 1 Corinthians 12. 12 through 27, that's the second passage that I'm going to ask you guys to read this week. And again, we won't read the whole thing here. I want to read the last couple verses, but I want you to read the entirety of this. And again, I'll send that out as a reminder. But this is 1 Corinthians 12, verses 25 through 27. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. We were created for one another. We were created for fellowship. That's the beauty and the power of the church as the body of Christ is that we were made to be helpers for one another. Right? If one suffers, we all suffer. If one is honored, we all rejoice for it. We are all one body in Christ. 
And so as we consider this idea of bearing burdens, I think we see why in those verses. Because we were made for fellowship because God knew that this life would be far too great of a struggle to try and make it through on our own. As a trivial example of this, and I just want to use this to illustrate the point, right? Addie and I have a large wooden china cabinet or hutch. I, I don't know. Truthfully, I don't know what the difference is. Um, I've heard both used. So it's a china cabinet, it's a hutch, maybe they're the same thing, but we have a large piece of wooden furniture in our house. And when we first moved to Ohio, when we moved to our apartment, it was just my brother and I trying to carry this from the truck up into our apartment. Just the two of us, and it was a struggle, right? Like it took us a long time, there were some crushed hands. It was not fun. When we moved from our apartment to this house, we had a lot more people show up to help us, which we are still very grateful for. If, if you're watching this and you happen to be one of those people, thank you for that. But when we moved it that second time, I think there were five of us. It wasn't hard. It, it was not. I remember looking at this piece of furniture thinking, oh my goodness, that was a nightmare to get in here. I don't want to touch that. But all of a sudden, when we had a guy at each corner and then a fifth one kind of directing, it was easy. It took us no time to move this bulky, cumbersome piece of furniture. And that's a snapshot of what we see here. When we try and carry our burdens on our own, it's hard. It's exhausting. It beats us down. It grinds away at us until we're barely scraping by mentally, emotionally, spiritually. But when you have one with you to pick you up when you fall, when you've given, been given a helper, when you've been given a body, then the burdens become easier because they're meant to be shared. We see this in Scripture, that God never intended us to try and just grit our teeth and white-knuckle it on our own. right? First and foremost, He's given us the Holy Spirit as our helper, but then we're specifically looking at our interpersonal relationships. And it's very clear in His Word that He has given us one another for this very purpose. And so, as I consider what is the law of Christ, as I consider, okay, so if I'm called to bear one another's burdens, then that means I need to have a relationship with that, per that person. Is this something else I see? Yep, okay. So now I'm at a place where, yes, it is very clear that we are meant to be in relationship and fellowship with one another. And it is very clear that I should desire to bear your burden out of my love for God and out of my love for you. And so now I'm left with kind of the, the question for the idea that started this whole verse, bear one another's burdens. Okay, what is actually then required for me to bear your burdens? And what is required for you to bear my burdens? And it's trust, right? We're called to bear one another's burdens, and that's impossible if we refuse to trust one another. And look, I get it. I get that we've been hurt, and I get that for many of us, we've been hurt within the church by the people you, you would think are least likely to hurt you as the body of Christ. I understand that. Again, I've talked many times about my family's past experiences, right? My brother's abuse at a private Christian school that was associated with our church. My dad grew up in ministry. I know what has been said about my dad. I, I know the things that have happened, right? I've shared my own struggles with forgiveness and bitterness, right? Adeline has experienced this. She's been burned by this, by people she trusted, and it's bit her. She shared that with many of you. When I talk about trust, I've experienced the ugly side of it. But there are two options. And I'm sorry if you don't want to hear this, but there are two options. 
we either refuse to trust because of past wounds or we accept that trust makes us vulnerable but it's it's what we're commanded to and we trust anyway because here's what's ha- here's what happens think through this with me for a second right think through this if we all refuse to trust because of what's happened in the past i call this relationship chicken and i've shared this illustration in the past but i think it describes it perfectly if we all are unwilling to trust then this is what our conversations look like and tell me actually i mean you can't tell me i can't see you but think about this yourself and answer truthfully if you don't have conversations like this regularly on a Sunday morning. So I walk into church and I'm exhausted, right? It's been a terrible week. I've been struggling with lust. I've been fighting with my boss at work. He's been yelling me about my, you know, my performance and I'm worried about my job. I've brought that stress home and I've been fighting with my wife. I've been snapping at my kids and lost my temper with them. Nothing this past week has gone right. The entire weight of the world feels like it's crushing me down. My relationship with my family is in shambles. My relationship with my coworkers is in shambles. Maybe I lost my job. I have all these burdens weighing on me. And as I'm walking into the doors of church, I am screaming out inside for someone to come alongside me and love me and pick me up. And I see Joe Curry approaching me. And I called Joe, I got his permission to use his name, right? I see Joe Curry approaching me. And this is the conversation we have. Hey, Sam, how's it going, man? Oh, good. Good, man. Yeah, yeah, everything's good. Everything's great, man. Just a, just a good week. Happy to be alive. How about you? How, how are the Currys doing? Oh, we're doing good. Just good. Yeah, 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 doing good. Okay, good. Um... Hey, I'm going to go find Daddy. Yeah, you know, I should probably go check the kids in. All right, man, hey, I'll see you next week. Okay. And we head our separate ways. And I walk away, still screaming inside, why won't someone, please, I just need someone to help me with the weight that I'm carrying. And you know what Joe is walking away doing? Joe is walking away screaming inside, why won't someone help me with the weight I'm carrying? If only I knew I could trust Sam, then I could trust him with my burdens. And I'm thinking, if only Joe would prove to me that I can trust him, then I would trust him with my burdens. See, we're all holding back, waiting. Okay, I'll trust you once you demonstrate that I can trust you. Right? Or I'll trust you once you trust me first. And so we play this game of relationship chicken where everyone's waiting to make the first move. And what happens is no one's willing to do so. And so we wind up with these shallow, ineffectual relationships where we're all crushed under the weight of our burdens. But we don't know to share them because we're not willing to trust, to open ourselves up and just trust one another. And like I said, I realize that that may be opening ourselves up for vulnerability. But I've tried to model this because I've seen the alternative. I've seen the consequences of not trusting, so I have tried my best to demonstrate that I trust you all. I've shared about the abuse my brother has gone through. Addie shared her her experience with so many of you about past relationships that have scarred her, right? Were you happen, did you happen to be in church on January 12th of this year? It was the first Sunday after I was officially installed as the pastor, right? It was my first sermon. And what did I share with everyone? I shared the lies that the devil tries to whisper to me of you're too young. You're too inexperienced. You don't know what you're doing. Nobody's going to take you seriously as a lead pastor. Why would you ever think 
that this is going to work out. I shared that with all of you, right? Do you know how easy it would be for the elders or the staff to use that against me? To absolutely come at me with a devastating blow or for any of you to use that against me? And get me wrong, nobody has. Which is, is a testimony to how beautiful God is within the body, right? When we can share our vulnerabilities and our weaknesses and the fears that try and eat away at our minds and nothing happens negatively because of that. But if somebody wanted to come against me, man, I gave you the weapon back in January. That's going to be your most effective attack. But the alternative, as I looked at that, as I considered sharing that, that weakness, if you will, my alternative was, okay, I either share this with the people and they know me, and I can be known by them, or I refuse to let them see the real me, and I put on a mask and I put on a facade. And I pretend like I don't ever have those nagging thoughts that try and chip away at me, right? Because those are the two options. We either are willing to trust one another or we put up a wall and we refuse to let each other inside. And here's the beautiful thing about when we open ourselves up. Right? Here's something so incredible. Again, you talk about those one verses, right? Just one verse that slaps you across the face and is mind-blowing. I want to look at a verse in James. This is James 5.16. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Whoa, uh-uh, you lost me. Confess my sins to one another? I'm not even going to admit my struggles or what's weighing on me to someone else. Confess my sins to one another? That's crazy. Listen. Listen to why we're told to do this. Listen to why trusting one another is such a beautiful, powerful, freeing thing. James 5.16, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. For the prayer of a righteous person is powerful as it is working. We trust one another so that we can grow and move forward. Right? You've maybe heard the greatest lie the devil convinced the world is that he doesn't exist. For a long time I've said, I think the greatest lie the devil has convinced Christians of is you're the only one. Right? I think we're, I think so many Christians are wandering around like, man, if they only knew me. If they only knew the sins that I'm struggling with, the burdens I'm carrying, they wouldn't love me because I'm the only one. And what I've found in my life as I've opened myself up, as I've trusted people with, hey, this is what I'm afraid of. This is what, if I can't sleep at night, this is probably what's stressing me out. This is something that's weighing on me. This is a problem I'm facing. This is a battle I'm going through, right? What I've found is, as we open ourselves up, this is what you start to hear. Hey, me, me too. And then a third, yeah, man, I'm, I'm right there with you. And then you have someone who chimes in and says, guys, I was there before. This is what I learned. This is what God taught me. Let me come and help you with where I used to be. And what I found is as I've shared, hey, this is what I've dealt with in the past as I dealt with bitterness, right? I've had conversations about this is, this is emotionally abusive relationships I've had with family members, right? And so that relationship has been fractured and damaged with relatives. This is what I've gone through in the past. What I found is other people saying, Oh, you've been there? I'm there now. And now I'm able to offer, okay, this is what God taught me in this. And what we find is we open ourselves up as we trust one another. We find what it says there in James. We find healing. We find growth. We find forward progress and change. 
Because when it talks about bear one another's burdens, this is not a blank check to gripe, right? This is not a, hey, just pin someone in the corner and start venting to them. Just, just unload every complaint and negative thought you have, and now it's theirs to bear. That, that's not what this is talking about. This is talking about we're being crippled by these weights we're trying to carry on our own, and the Bible says you were never meant to carry them on your own. Bear one another's burdens out of love. Confess your sins that you can pray together and be healed and move forward. The body was given for growth for challenging one another, for carrying one another along. And we see that in the beauty and the power of bearing one another's burdens. And then while we're still talking about, right, up until this point, we've really been focusing on, I have a burden that I need you to help share. What is required of me? I need to trust you. Right? I need to be willing to trust you out of love, trusting that you love me. And I want us to think from this perspective still, I want us to think of one more thing. What happens if we don't? What happens if I refuse to? If I have these burdens and I won't trust you with them? Couple things. One, that makes me an ineffectual member of the body, right? Think about your body. Think about it seriously about your body, all right? I've got 10 fingers, right? Or, well, technically, right? Don't people say eight fingers, thumbs aren't fingers? I don't know, whatever. I've got 10 five on each hand, right? If this finger is broken, I don't just ignore it because I've got nine good ones still, right? This is gonna be an ineffectual finger as long as it's broken and undealt with. And so that means what's required of these nine fingers is now going to change and be more than they were intended to bear. And so if I refuse to trust you with my burdens, I am crippling myself as an effective member of the body and I'm getting in the way of you obeying the command of Christ. Because if you're called to bear my burden, and I refuse to let you know what that is or to see it, if I refuse to let you inside and know me well enough to bear my burden, I'm getting in the way. I have now become an obstacle to you obeying the law of Christ. Out of my selfishness, out of my pride, out of my unwillingness to open myself up. Think about it. Do you think our enemy wants the body, to be full of growing, healing people, trusting one another and bearing each other's burdens? Or do you think the enemy wants to see the church as a bunch of individuals all crippled by the weight of what's on their back, unable to help each other? Which do you think sounds like a church that the enemy wants to see lived out? I don't know about you, but I want the enemy to hate me. I want the enemy to hate everything I do. I want the enemy, I want darkness to loathe my actions. And if that requires opening myself up, then so be it. If that requires being vulnerable with people, then so be it. If that will be what the darkness hates to see, then I have to be willing to do that. And I want to do that. I want us to be a church of people who obey God that the enemy looks at and just hates what we are doing. And I think people who trust one another will be that church. And I realize that's a lot to throw on the perspective of the one with the burden. So now I want to look at the flip side of that, right? You come to me with a burden. I come to you with a burden. What's it like for that person? What does it require of that person? 
It requires that we are trustworthy people. And within that, uh, we've already looked at love, right? We've looked at the love that Jesus calls us to have for one another out of our love for God. I also think it requires deep humility. It requires us to look at someone in humility. Listen to these verses. This is Matthew 20, 25 to 28. But Jesus called them to him and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must first be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. You also see Romans 12.10, Love one another with brotherly affection, outdo one another in showing honor. Philippians 2.3, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. See, as we look at all of these things, as we look at this idea of humility and love, I think those cover everything that will require or is required to be a trustworthy person. Because love won't gossip. Love won't betray. Humility will be available. Humility will make time to listen to other people, right? A humble person will engage in a conversation not thinking, yeah, yeah, finish what you're saying because here's what I want to say. A humble person will engage in a conversation with their brother or their sister to listen to them and to know them. That's what humility will look like. Love won't listen to someone and think, oh, what's wrong with you? Love won't listen and judge. Love won't listen and scorn or reject. Love will listen and will weep for the person if they're broken. Love will desire to see that their brother or their sister healed. Right? Because that's what Romans 12.10, love one another with brotherly affection. You're not sitting next to, you don't go to church with friends. You don't go to church with acquaintances. You're not part of this church body with strangers or someone who lives two streets over. This is a family. This is the family of God. We are to love one another as our family. We do our care for them as we would care for ourselves. To go back to the illustration of a broken digit, right? If I've got a broken hand, I don't say, well, my other hand and my both my feet are still good. So it'll, you know, it'll figure itself out. No, you deal with what's broken. You address, address with what's hurting so that it can grow, so that it can heal, so that the body can be as whole as it was meant to be. We are called to bear one another's burdens. That will require that we are people of trust. People who trust others and people who know that we can be trusted. Right? People who pursue this honest, deep, real relationship with one another. People who aren't content to stay at the surface. I'm not content to just know your name and one or two facts about you. I want to know who you are. I want you to know who I am. I want us to be a body where we intimately know one another. So that when we're struggling, when we're weighed down with our burdens, we can come alongside each other and share the load. We can help each other. We can carry each other. As Ecclesiastes said, if one of us falls, the rest of us are there to pick them up in love. Like James said, that we can confess our sins to one another and we can pray together and be healed. That we can see growth as a body because we are willing to trust each other. I realize that's tough. 
but we have to look at the alternatives like I mentioned. So the question I want to conclude with, when we look at this idea of bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, I want to ask one final question that kind of summarizes all of this. I'm called to bear one another's burdens, to fulfill the law of Christ. So I've asked, you know, am I committed to loving one another? We've asked, am I willing to trust? We've asked, am I a trustworthy person? Am I a humble person? Am I someone who loves the person coming to me? So the last question as I summarize all of this, am I willing to trust to make this verse possible? Or am I okay with the alternative? Because the bottom line is, and again, I'm sorry if you don't want to hear this, I know it's going to sound blunt, but we have two options. We're people of trust, or we're people who are okay with letting each other struggle on their own. What kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church do you think will be revolutionary? What kind of person do you think will be revolutionary? Think individually. You can't control other people's behaviors. You're not going to be held accountable for their behavior. You can control yourself. You'll be held accountable for yourself. So are you someone who is willing to trust? Or are you okay with the alternative? Please join me in prayer. God, I realize this is scary. I think of my own times in life when, when I've been faced with trusting someone and the fear that naturally creeps in with what if they, what if they abuse this? What if I get burned again? What if I get hurt again? God, I, I realize that trust is a scary thing. So what I'm asking today for this body of believers, what I'm asking for this family of Community Bible Church is that you would give us the spirit of courage. And you have. You've given us the Holy Spirit. So maybe a better way to phrase it is, God, you would let us abide in the spirit of courage to trust one another. That you would take our relationships far beyond the shallow end, that you would take us far deeper than the surface level relationships, that you would give us relationships of deep personal trust where we can bear one another's burdens, where we can pray together, we can grieve together, we can rejoice together, we can heal together, and we can grow together. I plead this for our church. Jesus, it's in your powerful name that we pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody. Have a great week. Look for our emails. Uh, look for the devotional on Tuesday, the live chat on Thursday. We'll continue to keep you all updated as this progresses. Uh, we'll see you next week.